Welcome to episode 7 of Creative Welly, Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans, brought to you by me, DK, and also John Otako over at Empire Films, who produces the video podcast. Thank you, Jono. And also hosted by X Equals and the lovely Alex Matthews. Again, thank you. Good humans, both of them. In this episode, we speak to Pia Steiner, Senior Advisor, Organizational Development at Ministry of Justice, focus on diversity and inclusion. Also, Thomas Van Ramstonk, irritator and inspirer, building performance geek and GM for pro climate in Australia and New Zealand. Enjoy. Maybe start with you, Pia. Kind of, you got a new job. I do have a new job. But it's same as your old job, similar, but it's yeah. similar but different. Yeah, it's, it's similar but different. Um, so I have my... I'm in week two of my very first public service role, so it's kind of massive after, I don't know, I don't want to put it like this, but two decades of, of working in the private sector, this is my first, after 15 years of living in Wellington, which I think is, how do you get away with 15 years living in Wellington, this being my first role in government? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, so joined the Ministry of Justice, which I think is awesome, Justice League, Team Justice. Yes. Team justice. Yes. So, um, which just feels like an incredible fit with my own co-papa, you know. And it's funny because I was, you know, reading a bit about you and mm-hmm. and information, and I thought, well, it's really interesting. We're in these kind of different spaces, but really similar spaces, mm-hmm. you know, and just a different way of kind of making lives better for people, really. So, yeah. so yeah, it's um, it's all truthfully completely overwhelming at the moment. I'm learning about the public sector, and it is just. A behemoth. And that ministry as well. Huge. It's like 4,000 people or something like that. Mm. There's 4,000 people and something like 3,000 of them are in an operational space. So in, in courts, bailiffs. Oh, okay. Yeah. And your role? As so, oh, yes. Thank you. So, um, so my role is leading the inclusion and diversity strategy, mm. um, which is incredibly exciting to see where this is going you know um, eight years I started eight years ago I started working in inclusion and diversity um, when I was at Meridian Energy and it was um, essentially part of a listing process so eight years ago you had to have objectives around um, like gender balance leadership you know um, and it was truthfully really hard slog everyone would I remember people saying to me you know like oh are you being punished? You know, like, oh, diversity, oh, God, that's a bit of a tick box. You know, and it was really, really hard going. And now to see such a crucial part of society and organisations actually being embraced as a massive priority, I think is is massive. I mean, we've got, mm. I've got a very long way to go, you know, but I think this sure. is, you know, um, this is a step in the right direction. Is it a brand new role? In the ministry, I mean? No, it's, it it's not a brand new role. Um, I'm stepping into um, some massive shoes to fill, you know. And there's you brought your own. Oh, different shoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sneakers. Uh, um, but, like, the strategy is amazing, you know, and the, how the different agencies are so connected in the kaupapa, you know, is really, um, I mean, it's incredible, you know, and there's, there's really measurable things that you need to achieve, you know, and the, the purpose is social good, right? You know, mm. so it's kind of hard not to feel mm. pretty inspired and energised by that, motivated. 
How come that we, you went from the private sector to the public sector? <gasps> yeah. Juicy question. Yeah, <laughs> straight on there. Uh, um, I think there's a different type of feeling um, about working for somewhere that the purpose isn't ultimately to, to make money. You know, and like I have, I have nothing against you know commercial organisations and people making money at all. But I think there's just actually a different, there's a different feeling, you know, around purpose. You know, mm. um, when the outcome isn't actually to to make a profit. So I'm just keen to explore that, you know, and and I think from the bigger picture as well, you know, like justice serves mm. Aotearoa, mm. you know, it serves serves people and that is the purpose you know um and so we'll just see how that shakes out week two you know it'll be interesting ask me again on week three <laughs> I've, I've come across some other people in australia who went from the private sector into a more public role yeah. or a more narrow down role of what they could do and they're finding it very hard because of the restrictions of the do's and don'ts and yeah. you know and also the resources being available yeah. because I think yeah, that would be a big challenge definitely and boundaries yeah. <laughs> you know like what's actually the scope of which you can operate in um, you know I'm used to having a bit of free reign and you know mm. being to being able to kind of make decisions because they seem like the right thing to do in the moment you know and yeah. so it'd be interesting just to navigate my way around kind of what those boundaries are so yeah. I don't typically have any boundaries so <laughs> well, good luck <laughs> this with could that. be really interesting <laughs> I think that's a good thing though because the yeah. public sector I started in public service mm. yeah and local authorities uh, and transitioned out mm. a survivor of <laughs> and have a lot of clients still in the public sector, yeah. and they are very different. And that yeah. agile way of thinking, or the dyna- dynamic way of thinking, is like, yeah. and the trust that is very much placed in you in more of the commercial sector because yeah. it's like, yeah, we don't have the time, and we just yeah. we are moving a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the checks and balances historically yeah. have been there because it's public money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can kind of understand the legacy of why Absolutely. it's a bit more slow moving but yeah. however yeah you, it'll be interesting to talk to you in maybe three months time totally about yeah. the pace and yeah everything yeah. else I mean you know already it feels different you know so mm. um, yeah it, I think yeah ask me again in a couple mm. of months have you got a team around you? Uh, so I'm part of the organisational development team. Um, mm. So where we serve the whole of justice in terms of also things like um, kind of you know, talent and capability and um, behaviour. So one of the things that I'm immensely passionate about is um, positive bullying-free workplaces. You mm. know, and so that sits in our remit. You know, um, which mm. is yeah. Let's be honest. It's a massive issue in any workplace, you know, which I don't know how we've got here, so that's something I'm particularly focused on as well. Mm. Mm. Do you have a lot of uh, constraints currently because, you know, you're dealing with people and not being able to go and see the people and interact one-on-one with the people? I mean, how's that going to work in a digital platform? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, there's been some um, massive... I mean, just aside from... Just aside from COVID, there's been massive challenges. Um, Fakari, you know, uh, and uh, Fakari, White Island, that happened in December. Oh, with, yeah, the, so, yeah, with the eruption. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Um, right. Yeah, yes. So with the uh, with the eruption and also, um, you know, the attacks in Christchurch. You know, this this has been mm. a massive year 
It's yeah. been a massive year. We've forgotten for about these things with everything else. Oh, because yeah. you're like, oh, COVID's kind of taken over, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. so it's been, it's been a, all this year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I know. Oh, so, I think there's a little bit of actually um, finding out how we work in this new space, mm. and I think how you know that. How do you actually just be a bit gentle on people? You know, um, I think we expect more and more and more from people, and um, what I'm observing after two weeks in is you know like there's people on the front line of our of our justice space mm. you know there's a mm. um, massive workload and a massive amount on their shoulders so how do we not continue to just put more and more onto people yeah. or trying to achieve like purpose type of work so because I, I remember it wasn't I forgot her name was it Hannah at TED Talks mm-hmm. who was talking about the the change and or her her ideas about how the justice system could change and so on. Mm. And I thought it was really interesting talk because I think it clearly showed these are the boundaries that you can work within yeah. because you have some work health safety requirements, yeah. but then mm. trying to do better within that framework, I think, is a real challenge. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and what does uh, what does justice reform look like, you know, mm. for, for 20 years' time, you know, mm. I think, and, and how far away are we from that? You know, so there's, there's so much that I'm just learning about the space, and I feel like in week two I actually kind of know nothing. Yeah. You know, but um, it's mm. it's massive. Yeah. So is the focus internally or externally focused? It's it's internally focused, but this work by nature of what it is has an external focus. Uh-huh. You know, um, like if you think about bias, you know, and internally how you mm. how you treat each other based on the kind of intrinsic and unconscious bias you have, yeah. that naturally feeds into actually how you mm. treat participants in whatever system that you're operating in. Mm. You know, so I think there's there's no kind of line where one stops and the next one starts, you know, but um, what I'm learning about the space is that there are so many incredibly dedicated, committed and passionate people who are working in different kind of places, you know, mm. um, which is pretty awesome. There's a whole lot of people working on gender pay gap. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. we've had a couple yeah. of, uh, and Joe Cribb, if you remember, for TEDx Wellington, yeah, talking about yeah. and advocating yeah. for that as well. And yeah. uh, I was just thinking about the impact that, inclusion and diversity and all these discussions have permeates nearly every facet of a big organization like that because you mentioned organizational development but within that i would mention there's hr and hiring and firing but hiring as well and all those kind of influences that you can have on Mm. shaping the future culture by just yeah. hiring practices. You're making it sound bigger and bigger. Oh, <laughs> no, did you no, not know? <laughs> did you not write, read the yeah. <laughs> No, but, but it is. And I think then um, once you get your head around that, about what it, um, the different processes that it impacts within your internal organisation, um, well, once you th- stop thinking, well, once you think outside of the people practices and you also start thinking about, you know, other practices within your organisation, like procurement, for example. Okay. You know, and like yeah. the impact that inclusion has on procurement and the businesses you work with and are the businesses that you work with and the suppliers you work with that are equitable, you know. And So how does that manifest? What does that look like when you start to look at more inclusive procurement? Yeah. 
Um, it depends on kind of I, um, how far you want to take it. Yeah. You know? So I think some of it is about doing your research. You know, like um, who are the people that you're dealing with? How do they treat their people? Mm. How do they treat the, their suppliers? You know, what is that kind of chain? Okay. Of, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion around in the legal space around um, if you're working with. Um, Law firms, you know, what is their inclusion policy? Mm-hmm. You know, what is their what is their take and their practice on? Um, right, okay. Yeah, so I mean, it just gets exponentially bigger. Mm. It's like a good Venn diagram, isn't it? It's like you start you, but then there's yeah. these things that overlap. Yeah. Oh, there's other things that overlap as well. Oh, mm. these overlap with that. Yeah. Because I think you're in a great position because you can put certain demands out, I guess, to your suppliers and say, you know, these are the certain things that I, we expect from you. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, I'm making an assumption here, but I think that there's a lot of <laughs> lot of old connections yeah. and historic uh, connections there in place for whatever reason yeah. from 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, unless you actually turn over the stone and look what's underneath. Yeah, that's on. right. Exactly. You know, and I think it, um, and that's where that reach starts to get so much bigger and, and you know, like in, in the space that you're and as well as actually mm. if you can impact and influence at that different level, then actually mm. how do you create that more sustainable, long-term, embedded change? Mm. Um, I find it interesting in this space that it is so far-reaching and it touches every one of us, but yet it's always one of these areas that is so neglected or kind mm. of tacked on to something else. I mean, I think that's changing, but given the reach of it, it's kind of, it's it's interesting how we treat it. Yeah. yeah. In your previous roles in the private sector, mm-hmm. did you find some specific challenges? Because, you know, when you start looking at the supply chain, you find certain things that, you know, that should be improved, but the suppliers might not be willing to improve. Yeah. On the other hand, there's a commercial reality kicking in mm-hmm. where you say, well, we, if we do go somewhere else, it might double the price. Or yeah. Just making assumption yeah. Again. yeah. Uh, what is the decision-making process yeah. then? Um, I think there's a there's an exponential amount of challenges in this space. And the, the hurdle that we're even still getting organisations to buy into at the moment is the concept itself. Yeah. You know, why is this important? Why is this not just a nice to have? It's because it's actually intrinsically critical to how you operate and how, if you take a commercial lens to um, how profitable you are, you mm-hmm. know, so, um, and who your customer base is and, you know, who you, who, who you attract as employees and, mm-hmm. you know, so all of that, you know, if you just purely take an internal focus, then it's how you function and how productive you are and, you know, how, um, how your people work together, you know, so um, I think there's still that hurdle to get over is to just, as to making it understood as something that is critical to your business as opposed to just kind of this, like, fluffy thing that seems kind of nice, you know. Although, saying that, there's been a lot of data recently around if you have more gender balance on boards, for example, you do better as a business. So going back to the commercial argument of diversity or inclusion, Mm. better, you know, more diverse companies do better in the bottom line. So you're like... There's an yeah, argument that yeah. we made that Seems way. Seems to make sense, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But I suppose a lot of your job is still not just writing big words and throwing out their policies and yeah. strategies, very important, but I suppose a lot of it is storytelling because yeah. that's how I came across you in your session yeah. with, I think, the IRD or probably a little bit earlier than that. Yeah, when was that? 
Anyway, um, but I've seen you storytell very well, and you know, trying to make it very human. In other words, the impact of all this stuff. Um, and I, do you come back to that a lot? The power of the the story. Accidentally, yeah. um, when I was first working in the space, it was by accident, um, uh, and I just realized how powerful it is, you know, and how much it impacted me personally. Mm. Um, but when I was first working in the space. I was guided to always talk about it from the commercial perspective. Talk talk okay. about inclusion, about the bottom line. Talk about about from the practicalities, and you know. And I was just like, this doesn't feel right, you know. Like, <laughs> yes, that is an, that is a fantastic outcome and output of doing this work well and living it and breathing it. Mm. But actually, that's not fundamentally what it is about, you know. And it's about creating, you know, like more inclusive societies where mm. actually everyone has the opportunity to contribute and participate and do well. Mm. So shouldn't that be the story that we're telling? Mm. Shouldn't it be about like that, the the personal impact and about the um, the kind of the bigger impact, you know, on on society, you know? So, um, the, well, the other thing is that you know I was kind of told to talk about it in a non-emotional way, you know. So, <laughs> so I turn up to these. Oh, no. Dealing with people <laughs> in a non-emotional way, but also knowing you, <laughs> it's impossible. Oh, good luck with that. Um, like so you're full I, of that emotional I, energy. I couldn't help it. Yeah. You know, so I'd turn up to these meetings and I'd be like, you know. Um, if we embed this, you know, it was like kind of it was like busting out of me, um, and it just it yeah, I was just waiting to kind of untap this way of talking about this that mm. wasn't so clinical, yeah. you know, and um, and when I kind of let that go and just let it flow and see where it took me, then people became, you know, not surprisingly, more engaged with actually talking well, about it. Well, it shows your passion, you yeah, know, that yeah. comes out, and why would you bottle up your passion yeah, if you, you yeah. get it out? And it's such a strange thing that we tell people to do, though, isn't it? You know, like, oh, yeah. don't be emotional. You know, like I really have... Might be, might be something specific to yeah. the... English-speaking countries <laughs> <laughs> being yeah. reserved, you know, yeah. they're, they're just, you know, yeah. don't go out too much. And, yeah, don't show too yeah. much of yourself. They ask, uh, yeah. how did you end up doing what you do? Like, yes, that, thanks, thanks, yeah, like absolutely by accident. Um, actually, if I kind of go back to a little bit too much context, you know, on the day that I was born. No, mm. um, <laughs> so I come from a... a a culturally diverse family. Mm -hmm. So um, on my mum's side, uh, my family are um, Māori from from the far north. Mm -hmm. And um, my brother and I grew up as the only two Pākehā kids in the family. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on my dad's side, my um, dad is Swiss. So I can speak incredibly bad Swiss German if you want. Oh, Swiss so good. That's pretty much it. You can order an apple. That's brilliant that you know that. Pretty much it. And then, um, so our upbringing was already different, you know, kind of culturally different. And yeah. um, even just now looking back, thinking about the different experiences that my cousins had than my brother and I did, you know, purely mm. down to kind of our cultural and um, and mm. ethnic makeup, yeah. and um, my mum is, uh, is a long time activist, you know, and so she wrote a thesis uh, in like the early nineties on kind of interracial intercultural marriage in New Zealand. You know? Oh right, yeah, yeah. yep, Welcome it's available well. at the Auckland Union Library. If anyone wants to get it out, Love that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, based on her experiences, and yeah, based on right. the family's family's experience, you know? mm. and then. Um, 
so I kind of always fell into this activism space and I did it mm. by by accident, you know, like I didn't you didn't know it was called activism, you know, I didn't know it was mm. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that things that I was doing could be kind of classed as activism, but always had this real desire for um for, for fairness and equity, you know, and um it's kind of like a it's a bit of like a, a like a button for me, you yeah. know, is and so then when I um uh, got into Meridian and this opportunity came up I was actually um, in like a learning and development and learning advisory kind of space mm-hmm. and this came up and, and I was like oh that sounds really fascinating you know, again not really knowing what it was because mm-hmm. truthfully eight years ago no one really knew what the space was yes. even now actually yeah. maybe a little bit more visibility um, but so I put my hand up and like people actually looked at me like oh you know you've been punished for something like whatever how did you get this work because and then um and I was a little bit like that myself because I didn't know didn't know what it meant you know um and then the more I got into it and started kind of lifting off lifting Mm. off the lid and what it meant for people and what it you know it just kind of grew into this well it's maybe quite good because you know you didn't have any preconceived the um, structures that you yeah. thought you need to fall within because yeah. you had, as you said, you had the freedom, the space to yeah. explore that as well. And I think the, the whole merit discussion, you know, so this is when I first started looking in this space, I had this view, yeah, well, you know, like I've worked for, you know, I got here because I'm awesome. <laughs> you, know, mm. I, you know, I got here because I worked hard and, oh, you know, merit, 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 merit. And then you start to pick that apart and see how much of that is actually just based on this construct that we've told ourselves about who deserves things and who doesn't. Okay, right. Yeah, so. So the mer- meritocracy. Oof. I was going to say. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. polarising and contentious view, merit. Mm. Yeah, right? What's your thoughts? I think it is it is very challenging because, mm. as you said, you know, there's stuff that's been, um, well, we are taught through mm. our parents, through their experience, through what they lived through in, in the few decades ago, and also about society yeah. and the pressure. And I find from, from my end that, maybe I need to be careful, that the, I was never striving mm. for that I needed to have that external recognition because mm. I was very lucky from a young young age on. I was always doing fun things and it always worked out well and yeah. I'm very privileged and lucky and I'm aware of it. So I wasn't really on that one. But I can hear what you say that, mm. you know, if people are just sort of starting to see we well, need to follow that narrative, then yeah. you end up very strictly or very, very quickly in that same structure that yeah. we've had for years. And I think no one wants to think that actually they have got where they are through anything other than their hard work and determination and passion. You know, like I mm. think that it's interesting when you mm. you think about what that means about your own identity if someone start to, starts to question that maybe where you've got to yeah. is at least in part a result of the privilege that you have. Mm. Uh, that, that's the disconnect I see a lot out there is that people feel blamed for nothing they had yeah. other than cis, white, gendered male, mm. right? So like, okay, yeah. that has afforded me some privilege because mm. of that. I recognize that now, mm. didn't before, right? Mm. Mm. Um, however, it's like if you point to me and say, well, you yeah. only got that yeah. because that's a different disconnect. Mm. I'm not hearing yeah. that from you, by yeah. the way. 
But there are people who out yeah. there who do that, and that creates then that backlash of going, no, Absolutely. you know, how dare you? Yeah, people get like, ah, automatically, your shoulders mm. are up by your ears, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think from mine, I'm, I'm a strong believer of creating opportunities, and then, you know, once you've created opportunities, things start to happen, yeah. and then, you, of course, you need to go and take them and, and uh, yeah. maybe be courageous enough sometimes yeah. to actually do these things, like mm. yeah. um, the things that you did. But I, I do... Um, I mean, again, you know, you start recognising very quickly. Mm. Um, once I moved out of Germany, where everyone is basically German, <laughs> it's not really a migrant country, yeah. although there's more people coming now, is that, you know, you start realising how privileged one really is mm. in terms of the opportunity that was given to yeah. me from early ages on in terms of education in particular, the health system, mm. everything mm. kicking in. And so then coming to New Zealand, I was quite... Shocked, I have to say. Mm. Um, I, in terms of, uh, yeah, just I mean, I knew there was poverty, but mm. you know, coming okay. from outside, I'm not sure what your experience was coming mm. from the UK, and um, I had no real understanding about New Zealand, but mm. I thought, you know, it's a Western society. You know, we still drive on the wrong side of the road here, <laughs> but you know, everything is pretty much like living in continental Europe. Yeah, and and then I was privileged enough to do some work with. Um, Housing New Zealand back then, mm. and I did some um, measurements on some of the state houses in Auckland, and I came across real poverty. And mm. you know, I remember uh, doing one one week there in Auckland, and I just ended up sobbing on mm. the doorsteps because I saw kids coming home with no shoes on. Um, all they had, I think, what I could see, um, bottle of Coke. That was sort of their school lunch. Mm. And um, I assume that where their parents or minders uh, smoking already all day, they were stoned by the time the kids came home. And yeah. you know, talking about opportunities, yeah. uh, you know, and that's sort of where I thought New Zealand was a more inclusive yeah. society. And mm. I think it sort of really threw me at that point in time. Yeah, no, I bet. Well, was that so? Were you already with with ProClimber then? Or? Yeah, I was doing some consultancy work, yeah. just um, trying to understand. Uh, again, I'm a, my background is building science, um, performance of awesome. buildings, and I, I thought it was pretty simple. You go in there, you measure the performance of the houses, and then you, you identify the issue. Mm. Being an engineer, there's the issue, there's the solution, and you get on with it. Yeah. And uh, so I was doing the measurements, and then I provided the solutions. And uh, the people I work with within um, Housing New Zealand, that uh, sort of group that was looking into how they could improve the performance of the houses. They were all onto it and say, yes, we need to do this, we need to do that. And then the policy people came in and this whole thing just was washed out. When was this, by the way? Give us some context of like, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Yeah, it will be over 10 years ago now. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. And it was, it was sort of really early days and it's, it's very encouraging to see now that things are moving in the right yeah. direction. And I yeah. saw Okay. My hope is coming back. I was very, uh, yeah, I was pretty down for a while. Yeah. Were, you, were you shocked when you came here um, about the kind of levels of of insulation and heating or lack of? Sorry, you, insulation? Oh, insulation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What level? I, 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 I have to say, like, I, so I'm, I'm from the north in, northern Germany and uh, I moved to Bavaria to study mm. and, um, in a place uh, called Rosenheim and 
in January, February, you can have half a meter of snow outside, minus 20 degrees. Yeah. And I was still running around in shorts and t-shirts inside in my student flat. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so cold in my whole life in the first winter in Wellington at plus eight degrees inside the building. My mum would say to you, just put another jumper on. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, um, I need to be careful because I, I, I don't call uh, them houses, I call them shelters. And it, oh, wow. and it, it is, it is a, I yeah. think it's a... Um, well, that's challenging. Nobody that's can brilliant. see that, but behind the camera, there's a there's a great photo out there of mm -hmm. a um, um, yeah a shed, I would call it. <laughs> but it was really uh, people were looking for rain shelters to start mm -hmm. with, and uh, it hasn't really morphed well, on from that. So yeah. it's finally coming up. To and uh, for the life of me, I don't understand that we have a lot of really clever people in New Zealand. Mm. And if you look at the film industry and mm. what's happening in Wellington and Miramar and mm. I think it's, it's leading edge a rocket lab, you know, it's, mm. it's really 21st century. Mm. And our housing is stuck in the 19th century. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. And also, um, you know, talk about being activist or being rebellious. Um, I think that's not in the nature mm. in terms of, again, my assumption of people here in New Zealand. They don't want to rock the boat, but mm. yeah, I think if this situation would have been in France, they would have burned the parliament down by now yeah. because yeah. people wouldn't put up with it. And yeah, what do you say? Put on another jersey? Like, yeah. why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I want to, I mean, we have housing to provide us with mm. sh shelter, of course, but it should be a safe environment. It should be a health-nurturing environment yeah. and not the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you at the moment in a lot of places I've seen, uh, you're better off sleeping outside in the tent mm. than in these uh, mold-infested uh, places. I mean, they should be actually devastating. Oh, it's yeah. horrible! Absolutely yeah. devastating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what do you think of this legislation about um, about rental properties? Mm. You know, that now have to have X level of of legislation. What do you think? Do you think that's a move in the right direction? Or? I think it's finally moving into the right direction, but I think we're still so far off. So mm. I'll give you a comparison. I think the the code minimum, so even if you build a new house now, mm. which is just the bare legal thing you can get away with, uh, performance-wise, it's about 20 years behind international best practice. Wow. And and I, I thought over the past few years through the work that I've been doing with a lot of people in the background with some amazing people actually in New Zealand who all want to do the right thing. And I thought we would sort of close the gap mm. between where New Zealand is and where the rest of the world is. The problem is the, world, the rest of the world is, has accelerated mm. and we're not picking up the pace. Gotcha. So we're actually falling further behind. Oh, wow. That makes me cold just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and it's <laughs> I, and for, me, for life for me, I don't understand it. If you uh, drive a car, if you have a Tesla, you know, you, have, you can have them here in New Zealand and mm. Um, central heated, ventilated, uh, the seats are heated, the steering wheel is heated. <laughs> they are yeah. more comfortable to be in than the, I don't know, the, the, the totally overpriced, um, again, as I say, shelters that people buy. Yeah. You know, so you is that why you were attracted as well to come here? Because you thought this is a great problem? No, I was attracted to New Zealand. Full stop. Yes. Just not the housing. I, I had no idea where New Zealand was. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was, okay. I, was, uh, I was very fortunate. I was part of my university degree. I had to do an internship, and I ended up in Japan. And in Japan, in a Brazilian bar, mm. a German met a New Zealander. <laughs> that sounds wow. like a start of a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <exactly. laughs> I was, uh, when I first arrived here, I was interviewed by 
think it was Dominion Post uh, back then. And, okay. Um, I think they're cool. The title was something about the love refugee, but I'm not a refugee at all. <laughs> I came on my own, of course, here. Yeah. I mean, I've followed yeah. uh, a Wellingtonian here. Yeah. And my wife is from Wellington, and it's been an absolute blessing here. I, I, I thought we'll go back to Asia maybe after a year okay. or two here. And, you know. How long have you been here? Um, 2003, so 17 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. In Wellington? Straight into Wellington. Straight into Wellington. I'm glad I'm... I live in Wellington. It's yeah. a pretty great place. It's I mean, a good I'm not sure what your experiences here. I love it Wellington. Here. Mm. Yeah, I lived in Christchurch when I first moved mm. to New Zealand. Mm. Migrated out here, and it was uh, June of 2011. So four months after the quake yeah. happened. Oh, wow. um, because I had applied for res uh, skilled migrant category mm. visa mm. through a, a, someone offered me a job I didn't really want, but it made it interesting. Um, and I applied back end of 2010. Mm. Then mm. February the 22nd, mm. 3rd happened, or 7th, oh, sorry. The February happened, yeah. which was the big shake. And a week later, I had the letter on my doorstep saying, well, uh, welcome to New Zealand, use your visa to move to Christchurch. Uh, it was like literally wow. a week after the quake happened yeah. because I applied based on a job yeah, yeah. based in Christchurch. Mm, mm. So yeah, when I moved down there, it was a fascinating, um, naive notion of being in a place to see rebirth, mm. being part of a city mm. and, and yeah. you know, to help. And you know, people were still struggling with holes in their homes rather larger hole, you know, holes that they should have and liquefaction everywhere. And mm. I moved in the winter as well. So within a couple of weeks, there was a big dump of snow. I was just like scratching my chin. Well, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. Moved my life across the other. And um, I moved to Wellington because the company I was with at the time had an office here. Yeah. And I'd been here before and I knew it was a good little town. And yeah. once I moved and sat down and I was like, yeah, this is where I should have been in the first place. Although what was funny is before I moved from Christchurch to Wellington, people in Christchurch were warning me about the wind <laughs> and the rain <laughs> and the hills. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm from the valleys of South Wales. <laughs> sounds like sounds home. Like home. <laughs> it did. It yeah. totally was that cute little thing I could yeah. say. It was like, sounds like Wales Valleys. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. And yeah. when I moved here, I don't notice the weather, I must admit. It's just, oh, yeah. just oh, yeah. weather. I remember yeah. when I moved down here and I think... I actually can't even remember. When was it? I actually don't even know anymore. Oh, I know it was October. That's all I can remember. 2007 it must have been. Cool. And, um, and I remember thinking, oh, everything they talk about Wellington. I say, like, you know, I was in a T-shirt in October, you know, and I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know, this is awesome. And this went right through to May, and I was like, man, people, you know, people complain about Wellington. It's beautiful. And then winter hurt. And I've never been, and I wore thermals under my clothes for like the first six months because I was so cold. But now I've kind of finally figured it out. It's like September yes. and October. Well, I mean, that's typically, usually, in non-kind of COVID environments, the months you go away, right? You leave Wellington. Yes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> spring winds. Like, that's right. Yeah. And every year I kind of forget, and I'm like, ah, that's right. It's a every spring Every year it wakes you up. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. Max was also appreciate uh, yeah. the good days we have. Oh, so, you know, because yeah. yeah, there's always the contrast. If you have the contrast, then you start appreciating the good things. Yeah. 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 And if it's all mediocre, then... Yeah. Exactly. Us Europeans don't mind a bit of 
seasonality, right? <laughs> you know, one weather. thing I miss, I mean, I sort of get my annual fix going to Queenstown or Aerotown and yeah. just, just for walking the snow down and through Aerotown, yeah. just especially in autumn when you see mm. the sort of the colour changes, it, it mm. sort of feels like thing. But I'm a beach boy, so for me, all I need is okay. the, the ocean, mm. the sand under my feet and the sand dune behind me and a bit of, uh, as we call it, Steife Brise, so a bit of nice wind. Yeah. And I'm at home. And so Wellington is perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. It is a good place to lay a hat definitely mm. I was going to go back to something you said earlier about um, kind of the the health of our homes mm. and we've had a couple of people in Creative Valley talking about certain things to do with the construction and mm. healthy homes we had Haria uh, a couple mm. of episodes yep. ago with the Fari Aura amazing thing um, little sensors that go into the home to tell you but that only illustrates the problem Great. rather than solves it mm-hmm. it goes some way in educating and yeah. raising literacies and then we had Jed Finch yep. also talking about his thing but again that's still in research mode even though he's built a couple of things and he's playing around we still haven't solved the homes issue mm. yes. yeah. so what would you if you could wave a magic wand how could you <laughs> fix this problem? I think we can fix it very quickly. We okay. just need to be, I think we need to have a few courageous people within uh, certain departments mm. to really lift up the uh, requirements of the New Zealand Building Code. Mm. So uh, some of the details are in there we should not be doing. I think um, if it's basically it's mm. science. You know, mm. I mean... Um, if you drop something that's Newton, gravity is around. Um, mm. It's just wind, water, uh, energy flowing around. And I, I think from now on, we have all the tools. We have made all the mistakes uh, around the globe. So what well, we just need to make sure that let's actually understand the mistakes other countries have made and paid dearly for so we don't have mm. to repeat them yeah. and just apply them to the New Zealand context as yeah. well. Because, yes, we have unique climate conditions, but... Um, they're not unique on the globe. You know, yeah. We're part of the world. Of course, and, yeah. uh, so, I mean, winds, we have other places that are quite windy. Yeah. Um, we yeah. have other places that are quite damp. We have other places that are warm and humid. Mm. You know, mm. I lived in Tokyo, and you know, Auckland climate is nothing like Tokyo, and mm. we can deal and build houses that are healthy in Tokyo as well. So mm. it is really about putting the framework in place and actually be courageous enough and say, okay, what we have now is 20 years behind, so mm. let's mm. move it to the next level. Mm. And the other thing we need to sort out are the standards. Mm. So where people get the reference from of how to then do things. And um, I think Standards New Zealand should be funded uh, better. Um, they should have technical okay. expertise that can provide the unbiased technical information mm. to everyone who needs them. Yeah. Because mm. the standard committees at the moment are... should I say that? Um, Often the outcome of the standard committee meetings is what's in the best interest of the industry. Mm. Because you have Mm. industry representatives. And I I think we can, if we change that model and uh, we start off and bring up the bottom line, the the top market will happen. I mean, we're involved in some amazing projects Mm. around the country. And the further south you go, because of climate conditions, the more, I think, in tune people are with their environment and they understand mm. that if you build something in central Otago, you need to have insulation, you need yeah. to have space heating, <laughs> yeah. cooling or whatever you need, otherwise you die. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that we have such a benign climate, uh, especially mm. in Auckland, that mm. people 
don't, you know, it's, um, it's like this movie, Man in Black, uh, where they have yeah. this uh, zing zing uh, thing where That's people right. forget about it. And, <laughs> and I always think about it's happening in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Every springtime, you know, once we get through September, October, when yeah. the sun comes out, yeah. people forget about the last winter. Of course, yeah. yeah. And a friend of mine, he runs, um, he looks after interests of a German insulation manufacturer here. And he told me that insulation in New Zealand is a seasonal product. So when it's getting cold, people buy insulation. Fascinating. Mm. And I didn't understand it. Mm. <laughs> and so I asked him three times, can you explain this? Yeah. Because, you know, you need insulation all year round because yeah. insulation separates you from the environment. So um, when it's hot outside, you don't want to have it hot inside. Mm. When it's cold outside, you don't want to have it cold inside. So yeah. that's your barrier there. Yeah. Yeah. And he just said, no, um, we just basically, in the winter month, we're just pumping out product and wow. then in summertime everyone forgets about winter and uh, just goes uh, yeah. surfing and yeah. lies on the beach and yeah. Yeah. it's something not right I was gonna gonna ask you about is there a different play then to make because it seems like the, there are certain layers of governance relating to the whole issue of building homes here in New Zealand yes. And they all serve each other quite well, probably, and fit in and stuff. Is there a radical approach to be made regionally? Like you just mentioned Otago. Could Otago District Council go, well, these are the national guidelines. However, if you're going to build in our Mm. county or our region, use our and and push them up a lot more due to that we are very different than Auckland or the Northlands, right, mm-hmm. or someone else. Or Bay, Bay. It is already happening, mm-hmm. and again, it comes back right. to you know, the people that we need to be courageous. Mm-hmm. So there's a wonderful example in Dunedin where they're, um, they're just finishing off a co-housing mm-hmm. uh, project, and my understanding is it was heavily driven by a city councillor um, who right. then said, well, if we... If we actually put in public money mm. into a into building something, mm. then we want to make sure that they're fit for purpose in terms of what we need: affordable housing mm. for low income, for um, families, and uh, social housing as well, yeah. and create this co-housing um, area. And we're actually retaining, so we're going to continue being the owners of the property. So maintenance becomes an issue mm. and costly. So it's always a discussion about price versus cost so mm. everything you're talking about procurement before is like driving the, everything into the ground and mm. getting as cheap mm. as possible but the lowest price doesn't mean it's the most cost effective thing yeah. of doing things and that's the one thing that just drives me absolutely crazy because mm. if we design things better if we actually apply the funds that we already have um, more smarter an example there was a company in the Y wrapper who was building a show home mm-hmm. And um, I think the, the owner had the unfortunate, fortunate situation to bump into me, and we sat down, <laughs> and I just asked, what are your intentions? And uh, it was a New Zealand monstrosity with 200 square metres. Coming from Germany, 120 square metres is a big house. Uh, 200 right. is, yeah. well, you can have several families yeah, <laughs> living yeah. there. But How many anyway, bathrooms do you need? Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's another thing I don't understand. People have four bedrooms and five bathrooms. Yeah, I've never got that either. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway, there's a few questions to be asked. But uh, this particular um, company was looking at building a show home, and uh, we went through the plans, and you know, I went straight into nitty-gritty of what's the wall built up, what insulation mm. you're using, mm. and so on mm. and so on. 
And then um, I noticed they had provisions for four heat pumps mm. for space heating and cooling. And I said, why do you need four heat pumps mm. for a house like this? Because if you design it properly, you have proper insulation, you make it airtight and get everything right in terms of the layout and the orientation, you don't need four. Mm. You don't, maybe you don't even need one. Mm. You need half. Right. Wow. And he couldn't believe me. So um, they, I went off and then... Um, a year later, I was driving through that village again, or through the town, and I thought, oh, they built a show home, so let's pull over, just go and have another yard. And I walked in there, and then the owner said, oh, good to see you, and uh, told me about uh, everything there, and I uh, was talking about the female staff and, and the showroom, how delighted they were, because it was so nice and warm and comfortable, and they were all happy, and not like the drafty other things that uh, they were experiencing in the past. And then he said, let me show you the most expensive artwork I have. And he showed me one heat pump. Um, so they only installed two. Yeah. Um, they used one, I think, for a few hours in wintertime. And the, other, the second one that they put on, <laughs> never turned it on, was completely full of dust. <laughs> most expensive artwork I ever put up. And they still provisioned for the other two to be installed. So all the wiring wow. and the pipes oh, were already in place. So... Yeah. The point I just want to make is that the fourteen, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars that they invested in terms of mm. uh, getting the cheapest heat pump and everything they want, mm. they could have just taken that capital and actually invested into mm. better windows and mm. doors, a ventilation mm. system, heating system, whatever it might be, mm. better design. So you could have actually gotten a much better outcome for the yeah. same amount of money. Yeah. So this is an education issue, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to something that I wanted to discuss with you because you've built a beautiful little hub up in Auckland mm. to educate the yes. industry, yeah. mm. which uh, is basically a physical manifestation. Oh, it's, it's in like a, a warehouse <laughs> and there's a, another house, part, partly built house yeah. in there as well yeah. with lots of other things going trying on. Trying to visualise it. Uh, yeah. So um, there's a bit of a background story. We have... Um, from, from my end, um, looking after the operations in New Zealand, Australia, for Auckland, for New Zealand TMI, I need to have an, an office, mm-hmm. office space. And then our general manager out of Germany was saying, we need a room where we can demonstrate the application mm-hmm. of our products, mm-hmm. so practical mm-hmm. training and theoretical training. So um, office, a room. And then our owner out of Germany said, no, we need to build a full house. We need to show how it's done properly. So out of office, room, and house, mm-hmm. we actually built three houses right. in the warehouse. Uh, one is our mm-hmm. warehouse, uh, or sort of a workshop yeah. um, uh, warehousing thing. Then we have our office and meeting rooms. And then we have our seminar house, which is basically a full house, mm-hmm. uh, built a very Germanic Swiss uh, yeah. with uh, dormers and things. So a lot of people come and say, hmm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a different country now. Mm-hmm. But it's... It's because they're warm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you just, you just stand there and, you, and it just looks and feels like a proper home. Like um, we have, uh, we import a lot of materials from other companies who were kind enough to help us out. So I'm not sure we've been to Switzerland, not sure. So, you know, you walk into a house, you close the door, it goes, Foop, yeah. and it's quiet. Yeah. 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 Even if you have um, the tree sort of blowing halfway, mm. <laughs> um, it's quiet and it's because mm. it's airtight. Mm. But the interesting thing for us is that the investment we created was about $2 million we invested into this training facility. Mm. It doesn't really make sense mm. on paper when you talk about return on investment. Mm. And, mm. You know, but for our end, it was really important that we wanted to give something back to New Zealand. 
because I think we have a lot of knowledge that we've gained again internationally and we want to pass that on. So often everyone focuses on the architects and designers and you know because they get it done nicely but then they forget about everyone else. You, know, yeah. you talk about all the uh, impacts that you have. So for us it was really important from the start that we would um, try to pass the knowledge on to architects and designers, to engineers, mm -hmm. but then also to all the trades. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, maybe it's, um, one, I, I'm a father of two daughters, mm -hmm. so um, we started to um, support a woman in trades. Yeah. So they had their cool. first uh, annual uh, gathering at our place. And uh, it's another hilarious story. We had, um, so as a parent, when you're out and about with children, um, especially when you have to change nappies, <laughs> you try to find the appropriate places. And for me, it was difficult because mm. all the changing places were always in the female toilets. Of course, uh, yeah. Um, and then now mm. there's more in the, I don't know, what do you call it? Um, the unisex. Neutral, yeah, unisex yeah. toilet. Yeah. And um, I was just I was just in Auckland, and I was talking to our team in Auckland. I said, oh, we need to one of those changing rooms because it's going to happen that someone at some point will come in with a chart and so on and so on. And um, the next morning, uh, one of the organisers from the woman in trade comes in. She had a baby with her and was asking, where can I change my baby? No way. And then I yeah. said, oh, see, Actually, I told yeah. you guys. Yeah. There we go. One of yeah. those. So many inclusion issues yeah. that you but don't it, but, it, it, but yeah. that was a whole other thing. Like in our office... Um, we um, had long discussions around mm. unisex toilets or mm. not, and um, the the female colleagues in Auckland were very strong about that. They want to have a female-only mm. toilet. Uh, but however, the shower. Uh, so we had we have a shower because we have people biking mm. or, or running to mm. work, and so I just want to make sure. So we have a really nice um, shower there in Auckland if you ever need one. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. uh, but we had originally we had sort of that allocated to the female side, and they were very strong. No, no, we want our same one. So um, we now have a female-only toilet, and then we have a unisex bathroom with a toilet and a shower. But now I have discussions with my male colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm, I'm because... <laughs> the discussions around bathrooms. I have had many discussions around yeah. bathrooms. And when... Um, when I was at KiwiBank and moved into this awesome um, building, 20 Custom House Key, and bathrooms were a massive topic yeah. right, because um, they uh, wanted, in the design, wanted to make the bathrooms more more inclusive and more accessible as well. Wow. And when the, the project started talking about unisex toilets, everyone in their head mentally kind of imagined, you know, like, I don't know, kind of like, open plan urinals, I don't know, you know, like, yeah. you know, like the kind of the stall type situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. What they actually put in place, right, like individual, you know, kind of like bathrooms that were unisex. And it's just, it's... It's obvious. It's kind of obvious, you know, like, it, but it's such a strange thing. But um, bathrooms, ah, don't get me started. But I was just listening to you talk and I was thinking about how there's this interesting kind of intersection between... Um, the type of work we do, you know, it's kind of like where science meets equity, right? You yes. know, because yeah. there's such an equity discussion in yeah. in heating in, in New Zealand, probably anywhere, you know, yeah. in homes, because um, you're probably going to have your head in your hands in a minute when I tell you the heating that I have in my home. And now listening to you, I'm like, why didn't I just mm. get new windows? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> but like it's costly. 
It is expensive. But the, the cheapest heater is insulation. Yeah, and, and I think back to the point, your point about, about education, but, I mean, there's a real... I think there's an education thing and there's an equity thing. So, um, you know, my home is like a 1970s kind of weatherboard house, mm. you know, and with the aluminium frame windows yeah. that there's like a gap between like the actual house and the window that you can actually see yes. out, you know. Yep. And and I didn't even think actually uh, at the time we were replacing our heating, you know, and we had one of those, I don't know, that um, there's, they're like 19, it's like, the original gas heater that the bar heaters, I think. Kind of, yeah. Like the they've got like the gas and then the grills around yeah. it. Okay. You know, also like a massive kind of hazard, you know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and this thing was you know, on its on its last leg, so we're looking at um, replacing it. And the instant thinking was around what heating you replace it with. Yes. Right. You know, and that is not the problem that we have with this house. No, and again, again it's like coming <laughs> coming back to what you also mm. said is like. Let's actually investigate what mm. is actually the issue here. Mm. Now, you can always throw like, the good thing in building physics in terms of the performance of uh, health of buildings. You can always throw heat at the problem, always mm. energy. If you throw heat at the problem, mm. I love staying in five-star hotels because they think about the customers. Mm. Because when you step out of the shower, the mirrors are never fogged yeah, because there's a heating core behind it. Yeah, mm. so the surface kept warm. Mm. So you can always throw heat at the problem to solve the problem, but mm. of course it's not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, not everyone can yeah. afford it, and so on. But it comes back to take the taking the time to understand. And mm. I think we have an issue in New Zealand that not a lot of people understand mm. what the actual issue is. So monitoring what you said before mm. and just looking into this and actually creating some facts, some data mm. to start yeah. with. So uh, Because we often have emotional mm. discussions around things and I, I often get dragged into that as well. And I always need to think, oh, okay, let's go back to the facts. Let's go back yeah. to the data yeah. and let's approve it. And there's a lot of good research happening at the moment and I think it will create a lot of uh, friction yeah. I love when friction happens because when things run hot, that means we need to change things. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I embrace change because normally uh, change is a sign for me of progression. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. if you embrace it, then mm. just go for it. And I think there's a lot of things running hot at the moment in, mm. in the industry yeah. that I'm working in. Mm. I, I, feel, I think it's, I'm not sure if you will be able to answer that, where do you start looking for advice? Mm. You know, who do you go to? Often yeah. you end up talking to manufacturer of products. Mm. And what's the interest? Yeah, well, we'll selling you the yeah. most expensive kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's interesting because I, it's a, almost like a, another privilege that we don't talk about, right? Like heating and safety inside of your home shouldn't be a privilege that some can afford to have and others can't. So how do you start to actually bridge that, you know, Mm -hmm. and education absolutely from the building Mm -hmm. perspective? But what options do you have if you you can't afford it? Where do you go? What do you do? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think for me, and that's why we invested this money into the training Mm -hmm. facility in Auckland, because that's immediate uh, information exchange for the people that are currently in the industry. Mm. What we need to look at is just going way back and actually um, teaching our, our children, our tamariki, of what you know they need to learn. And I remember in when I went through primary school, we had this, um, I'm not sure what they were called, it was kind of like a science class type thing. And we learned from the early days on about energy efficiency. Mm. So when you leave the room, yeah. turn off the light. Yes. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. Like you can spot the 
German Swiss Austrians, yeah. Yeah. Um, they always <laughs> switch off the like light yeah. when they, or they tell you turn off the light when you leave yeah. the room. Yeah. And yeah. I thought I was smart cookie because I figured out there's a light in the fridge. Mm. So, I, so I unplugged the fridge. <laughs> it wasn't a good idea. New set of problems. Yes, yes. So my parents then kindly advised me that, that when you close the door, the light goes yeah. off and you don't need to actually unplug the fridge. Oh, but, but these, these but are, you were being a good boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, it's like about you know allowing children to be curious. Mm. Um, give, mm. them, give them facts as early as possible because, mm. I mean, we can do certain things in our positions and our roles, mm. uh, authorities that we have, but mm. you know, the next generation, the generation after, they really need to continue what yeah. we're doing because yeah, we can't just say, yeah, do that. Yeah. The first reaction will be, no, thank you, right. no, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So let's educate people. So. Totally. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I walk around the house switching off lights, hearing my dad's voice in the back of my <laughs> Is that right? Shut the doors, turn off the lights, yes. you know, like, yeah. and then mum, put on another jumper. Yeah, <laughs> the contrast. Well, that, that would have been a really interesting yeah. Yeah. talk about yeah. cultural things. My yeah. my father's from Amsterdam, uh, from okay. Holland, so he he moved to Germany um, as part of his army service, mm. and then he studied mm. physics in Germany, and that's where he met my mum at the uni. And my dad was the first-born son of my Dutch grandparents. He was born in '44 during the war, wow. and then he moved to Germany. And married in German. Right, yeah. That my German, yeah, my Dutch uh, grandma never got over it. Wow. Like, she just right? couldn't deal with it. Mm. My Dutch grandma was, it was, it was quite hilarious because my German uh, grandfather, he was an officer in the German army mm. fighting uh, with the Finnish army against the Russians. And my Dutch granddad was in the resistance <laughs> and wow. smuggling Whoa. food into Amsterdam. So, I mean, imagine so those kind of culture yeah, things just yeah, a few yeah. years. Um, I mean, I was in the 60s, so I would have been 20-odd years after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels recent. Mm-hmm. And it does, uh, The it? height of, yeah, yeah the, the scale of the, the troubles back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. just like, And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, when you were talking about your dad being from Switzerland, your mum... From uh, Northland, um, I was just recently reading uh, Trevor Noah's book mm. *Born a Crime*. I'm not sure you oh, it. So he's, he's, his dad is Swiss as well, mm. and um, of course, back in apartheid mm. days, you know, his parents should have not been together. He should have not That's been right. there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really fascinating reading about his upbringing and you know how people overcome those mm. obstacles mm. and the suffering of people yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you, you were talking about, you were talking about that your, I think the upbringing of your cousins was mm. quite different to yours. Yeah, yeah. Is there a conflict between you and your cousins or? Um, I don't think we ever, I don't think you think about it until much later. You know, we were, we were a really tight extended family, you mm. know, and so at the time when you're growing up, you don't think about it, you know, but it's when you kind of reflect back and you think about where things started to diverge and why those things started to diverge. It becomes, you start to ask questions, yeah. you know, like what was different for us and, you know, um, and then I don't think, you know, we're still whānau, we'll always be whānau, you know, but I often kind of feel, I guess, probably a little bit of, a little bit of guilt about the privilege that I have had, you know, and, um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, like, this is just a massive journey of understanding, Mm -hmm. you know, ourselves and understanding others, but I think there's also something in we're becoming increasingly individualised, you know, and, you know, and what does that mean for 
how the well-being of society, you know, like um, I just kind of observe and hear things that are, um, and maybe COVID's a bit of a reckoning, maybe the last kind of few years is a bit of a reckoning around how we need to treat each other and how we need to act more as a collective where we look out for people who are not well represented, you know, and don't have that similar privilege privilege, mm-hmm. kind of rather than that automatic default, which is to be defensive about what we have. Okay. And I think it comes back to that kind of original conversation, you know, about, um, you know, what would happen if we if we actually um, started to look past that feeling of, well, I've got, I've got where I, you know, am before I worked hard and mm-hmm. blah, 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 and and um, and resisted that, and actually started to think about how we how we win more broadly together rather than just mm-hmm. individually winning. So the, the co- well, the COVID one is fascinating mm. because it does illustrate cultural and national differences mm. yeah. to a, a, the same problem, which is yeah. COVID. Yeah. You know, when we reflect on our nations, you know, our home nations, what they're doing compared to what we've experienced here, yeah. just yeah. simple language stuff. Mm. You know, you got the prime minister standing up in New Zealand saying, "Be kind." Mm. Yeah. You know, or our chief medical officer saying. People aren't the problem. It's mm. it's the the virus. Straight yes. away, trying to move people away from the blame culture, that yes. you know stuff like that. Yeah, it's it is a gracious, more of a gracious approach mm. to everything, and a more mm. human-led approach. Like mm. you know, again, our prime minister saying, the right response is not an economic one; it's a yeah. health response, which in turn helps the yeah. economics. Not so we're always yeah. going to put health first rather than mm. economics. Whereas other countries definitely have a different take. So, yeah, I feel a sense of that camaraderie, but beyond that, that Mm. kind of care and attention and larger final discussion going, yeah, team of five million, even that. Well, I think we need to be careful because I think the team of five million was broken in Mm. terms of having Auckland in a different different Mm. lockdown level to the rest of the country. Mm. And, you know, just me being in Auckland the past two days and talking to people in Auckland, what I just mentioned briefly that you know people are starting to imply you know we, yeah. we welcome your money but we don't want to see you mm. kind of thing mm. and I think we have a crack there now Creative happening division. and I, I, it's a concern to me because I think it's more of a um, when not if that we might have another outbreak and yeah. we might have I don't know, Canterbury and level three and. Wellington and four, yeah. or I yeah. don't know what might happen. Yeah. So, you know, this inclusion and we all together as a team, I think that's starting to fall apart. Mm. But isn't that more important that we keep talking about it, though? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think you know, what you were talking about, uh, Christchurch, before, I think the conversation I have with people outside of Christchurch, they think, oh, everything is fine. You know, the Prime Minister, mm-hmm. was it John Key, opened up a whole new hotel in the Civic Square, and it's all done. It's not. No. no. People are still suffering. There's still people that I talked to last week who finally now, after 10 years, hit the settlement with the insurance company. 10 years yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're starting to actually rebuild their lives. And it's a whole decade yeah. gone away. Mm. And, and I think in terms of you know, COVID, I, think, I hope that we can hold on to the good bits mm. and you know, mm. being kind and understanding. It's really interesting to see how people are a bit more... I think they're more aware of other people now in terms yeah. of physical space. So people, um, you know, take the extra step and you know go around and mm. and I, I think 
let's hold on to something like this. Yeah. For me, um, what was really interesting and challenging was that we had uh, so we have people in Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland, Sydney, and Melbourne mm. in terms of their operations. And it was a challenge for me to deal with the various levels of of lockdown. Mm. So, of course, yeah, you know, Christchurch, Wellington being mm. basically mm. quite normal. Mm. Um, Auckland under 2.5. Sydney is a kind of 2.2. Melbourne is a 3.1 in our <laughs> equivalents. And uh, just seeing the cracks appearing mm. uh, with our colleagues, especially in Melbourne, because mm. you know, they went into lockdown, they went to Sweden, and then they went back into lockdown. And then yeah. Um, now having had the lockdown extended by the state premier by another five weeks, I think, until the mm. 23rd of October. But mm. at the same time, he was saying, now you're allowed to exercise two hours a day mm. outside. And that was like a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. not and coming back to communication, because that's mm. really what it's about, uh, a lot of my Australian colleagues were saying how great it is that we have in New Zealand one time a day, one o'clock, mm. when whoever... Uh, friends up to the public is yeah. presenting the figures, rational, uh-huh. factual stuff, yes. and going on with it. And uh, my in-laws, um, they basically scheduled their life around the one o'clock uh, yeah. press conference. Mm. I think my a lot of people. Like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're logged on to spin off, right? Or that's whatever. Right. So yeah. Everyone knows yeah. that one p.m. You know, that's where yeah. the news are coming, and of course, there's stuff happening in social media, which uh-huh. yeah, I think um, we picked up as well. But mm-hmm. in Australia, you had. Uh, Australian government making announcements and you had the individual mm. states doing yeah, things and then you had the individual cities within the states doing oh. things. Mm. So in Victoria you have Melbourne and lockdown. Uh, Greater Melbourne is basically mm. life like normal. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and I think, again, as you said, it's important that we continue talking about these things and because everything can quickly become a new norm. Yeah. 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 So you touched on operationally there because being a German-owned company based in New Zealand with operations across mm-hmm. other countries as well, Australia, and you cover Australia as well as New Zealand, yeah. but how, how have that, that kind of communication has gone, and just your operations as well, how is it, have you had to change everything, or is it like, mm. have you pressed pause, have you had to let people go, have you had to change staff? No, we are very fortunate, we have, like, I have amazing people working with me. Mm. Like I'm very privileged mm. having these un- unbelievable individuals working with me wherever they are. Mm. So it's you know we are the business. You know the people are the business. <laughs> we do business between people. Yeah. So uh, for for my end, it was definitely a challenge because normally I fly to Australia and you know I can meet people, I can mm. talk to them, and mm. also you can in the sort of personal one-on-one you find out what else is going on in their mm. private life. So I'm always, mm. um, maybe it's a, to my own detriment, I was, I'm always interested in the people mm. and what they're doing and what's going on in their lives. You know, sometimes people have stress at home, mm. uh, someone had a new child, and you just say, okay, well, just Good to know. go home. Mm. You know, because you're absolutely useless today. So go and get some sleep. In a sleep. good way. No. Yeah, yeah, in a good way. And, and uh, so just go home and have a rest mm. and then come back when you actually manage to have some sleep. Mm. Because mm. you you're not functional at the moment, yeah. you know, and you're going to hurt yeah. someone or yourself, so go mm. away. And and I think the challenge for me was not being able to be there. And I was mm. saying before, mm. asking you before, mm. you know, what are you going to do if if you cannot be in front of people yeah. and if you do it online? Because digital is not the same it is as the one on one. And uh, I actually, I mean, I'm an engineer. What do I know about communication? So mm. I I sort of 
try to take the bits that seem to be working. And mm. for me, in internal communication, um, I wanted to also have, you know, one day a week, so it was a Friday, uh, Friday lunchtime, I send out an update for everyone, trying to map out sort of what has happened in, in the week, in that particular week, and what my um, outlook might be mm. for the next mm. week to come. Okay. Yeah. And then always sort of revisit, and uh, because yeah. we were in such a dynamic mm. uh, situation, and things were changing all the yeah, time. They were, yeah. and also Auckland going to level three that happened within again twenty four hours, basically again. Mm. And you know, I think it's really important in times of uncertainty mm. to give people certainty as much mm. as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were fortunate that as a business, I think we did quite well and didn't have. Anyone could go. We actually hired someone during lockdowns. Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Classic. Uh, in, in Australia. Um, yeah. So, I haven't actually met our new colleague yet so in person. Uh, I know often. Maybe a seen while. 2D, right? <laughs> yeah, 2D, but uh, I think we're well overdue to actually catch up for a drink. So, yeah. Well, everybody's been, you know, just treading water. Some people, mm. some people have fallen over, but some people have also flourished during yeah. this time, oddly enough. Mm. Um, but having, yeah, having an opportunity to hire another person must be feel good as well, though. Uh, I mean, um, for for me, again, I mean, we have commercial uh, realities, but I'm very privileged in the way that the owner out of Germany, he has enough money. He doesn't need another houseboat car. He has enough of that stuff. So, uh, Lotto always talks about, um, you know conscious decision and you know, mm. your conscience in general and you know when we all, when we pass away what do we take with us mm. you know people have different belief systems or whatever it might be but you know 20 cars you can't take your cars with you you can't take your tie with mm-hmm. you so um, he's he's on, in getting to the point now where he wants to think or he's starting to think maybe not directly but it comes across as thinking about legacy yeah. and I feel really privileged having the opportunity to really tap into it so you know, the profits that we're generating, we reinvest locally, yeah. so we don't ship them off mm-hmm. offshore. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it's really about you know finding the right people, looking after the people as much as we can. It's a huge learning curve for me, and we we continue. To, so um, when we maybe after this uh, conversation, okay. I, I, I want I want to tap more into your knowledge and your brain and your experience because there's a lot of things that we can always do better. And you know, I'm well aware of that. And you know, we all try to do the best we can. Mm. And sometimes we need expert uh, expertise and help. So I think we're all learning something, right? I think yeah. this has just been a massive year of learning. You know, mm. I mean, I would I'd, truthfully, I'd love to... I mean, so much has just happened in the world this Mm. year, you know, and I would really love to absolutely be in a position of saying, um, oh, um, you know, what a wonderful opportunity for growth and learning. But truthfully, I just want this year to be over, you know. I mean, I feel like I'll come to that at some point, you know, like maybe in the the next 12 months I'll look back and go, oh, I learned so much and I'm so grateful for that. But right now I'm Mm. just like... Oh, Feels heavy, doesn't it? It does. I love it. And a lot of people are carrying. A friend, it. friend of mine just said, "Why don't we just put up the Christmas tree, call yeah. it a day, and then we're full?" Yeah, <laughs> yes. good. yeah. Let's just call it here. Exactly. No, it does feel that. And I, I was chatting to Jono before we kicked off. I'm involved in something down in Queenstown at the moment, trying to get a festival up mm-hmm. and running, all about remote and flexible working, which is an important topic at the moment. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, but we're struggling selling tickets mm. to it. And it seems like that it's just the market for anything at mm. the moment, like anything, is a little bit kind of dissolved because of people's heaviness. And they go in, in terms of professional development, experiences and stuff like that, I, I'm only speaking in that uh, vein at the moment, but it definitely seems that people are just going, I just want to get to the end yeah. of the year. Just yeah. tapped out, right? Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and kind of just... You know, not panic again and not be in a worse situation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think with uh, interesting, we had a planning session yesterday with a different organisation I'm involved in, and um, they organise um, events, trade shows, and other things. And uh, we're talking about, you know, should it be shelved? Uh, should it be simmering away? What are going to do? And uh, from our end, like we normally have an annual trade show that we would attend, and yeah. the main reason for us not to attend was not really about um, not getting the return on investment or something. It was about the uncertainty mm. of things because mm. I think, again, we have we have so many things happening this year. I mean, mm. I completely forgot about White Island and yeah, and, and uh, yeah. yeah and everything else that was going on previous to COVID mm. in this year. So. I think people just want to get a bit more normality in yeah. terms of... I mean, we're not going back to where we were. There will be a new new normality, mm. a new norm, yeah. but just just a bit more sort of consistency and things. And I, and I, I, um, I've seen this with a lot of events, also, again, my own personal uh, decision-making process. Do I really want to go where there's larger crowds at the moment? Yeah. Not yeah. really. Um, mm. I felt very uncomfortable flying to Auckland on Wednesday okay. morning, yeah. uh, even... You know, the factual risk is zero point zero 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 something. You know, but yeah. it's still um, you know, the psyche that kicks in. Yeah. So, do I really want to go to a large event? Yeah, not really at this point yeah. in time. And should I really hand out the money and pay for a ticket, for example, if it costs fifty dollars, hundred thousand dollars, whatever, with the uncertainty a if the event happens, yeah. or do I get my money back? Yeah. And also just thinking uh, six weeks ahead or two months ahead now is a hard thing for people. I don't know uh, what's going to happen next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you ask them to think about that and then invest in that. And they're like, oh, that seems so far away that I and the risk and everything yeah. else associated to it. Yeah. So I get it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating it's to see that um, a lot of, sorry, physical events that normally happen, like a trade show, for example, they're trying to do that as an online yeah. event. And for me, why do I go to a event? Because I want to network. Yeah. Mm. I want to exchange ideas with an individual. Um, I, and maybe it's just me. I love the um, being spontaneous, yeah. uh, random. I mean, you create opportunities. Oh, hello, who are you? Yeah. What yeah. do you do? Yeah. And then suddenly, like, this is great person mm. that you meet with mm. amazing uh, things that you can learn from. It doesn't happen online. No. You, know, you can do a factual exchange, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Like, if you have an existing relationship, that's okay to mm. continue that relationship. But I think yeah. we would have not met in <laughs> online in terms of... You could have oh, made yeah. the introduction, yeah. for sure. but we would never have the, the connection starting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. If that not happen. And people are online all the time now, right? Like now yes. you can't get away from it. So yeah. and while I love the, I went to this incredible twenty-four hour um, 
I want to say it was called Change the World, what it wasn't, it was kind of like that, but, you know, like forum of all these really motivational, inspirational speakers. And um, But I spent like eight hours, right, on Teams calls, you know, and then to spend another yeah. set of hours, you know, like just from a really physical perspective, yeah. it's incredibly draining. Get so, fatigued. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of like, what's like there is, There's definitely events that lend themselves very well to the digital. Mm. If you started digital in terms of an mm. experience, mm. A, you know, a learning online, that's, that's fair enough, rather than trying to traverse back or transition yeah. uh, from you already you have stories and experiences based on, mm. you know, that's what I like, and now you're asking me to transition mm. it. When I lose all that, what yes. am I going to gain? Mm. Yeah. I'm not going to gain anything. I see it's just a gain that I can actually be part of it but it's not the bits I want to be part of. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is fascinating. I love digital. That's my first like businesses we're in, in the digital space, and I still think it has an amazing amount of reach and potential, and we're still and, you know, not doing it as good as we could. Mm. Uh, when we say we, we just mean like New Zealand and our, our, what yeah. we do here. Uh, but real life has more bandwidth, yeah. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm just thinking about the first TED Talks that I attended that you organised at the mm. St. James uh, Theatre in Wellington yeah, yeah. with SAP on stage and things and just yeah, just the, mm. the energy and the yeah. room and all of yeah. that I'm not sure if that's going to happen for the foreseeable future. I mean, I know that you're trying to organise I know, so. I'm trying to organise a big one next year. <laughs> next year, so... Well, we've we pushed it so far ahead in May next year because, yeah, we were concerned. Mm. Uh, I, I hope it will work out... Um, it's based on it. It might not happen. We're very yeah. honest in going into this idea of we're mm. trying to do a 2,000-person event. Wow. In this yeah. current climb globally, it's yeah. stupid. Mm. However, what if we do have an amazing run yeah. from here till May? It's, it's about missing. There will be a hunger. opportunity. Yeah. yeah, there will be a hunger for that participation, that yep. deep kind of collaborative experience, yeah. a shared experience together. The energy. Of- yeah. Yeah. Just what, as you described, mm. you know, when you were in that room and the energy yeah. and, and you all shared that experience and clapped and cried mm. and Because I think for, for me, one of the most emotional events recently outside family life and mm. <laughs> being part of birth of our daughters the, um, was the, um, I think it was the last uh, TED Talks might have been where I, f- I forgot his name. Um, someone came on stage and he talked about... Jace. About the breathing, we start with, yeah. So where he talked, so I was, I didn't know what the topic was, what to expect, and it was a small, intimate group, only about two hundred yeah, people. Two hundred people, and, yeah. And yeah. I felt like being in, in, in the living room of someone. <laughs> and then this this person comes up and sort of quite dubious and happy, and talk, starts talking about how he grows up, and then he dresses up and in a, some costume or something, and then his dad just walks out. Was it? He's never seen his dad again mm. after that, mm. and and then everyone around us started to sob, and mm. you go deep breathing. Mm. Like, you don't get there when you do online. No. You also get goosebumps. Get. Mm. Wow! <laughs> yeah, that's that the thing. So, never so impactful. That was so unbelievable. Yeah. Right? You just you could hear the needle drop mm. in that room at that point in time. Mm. And you know, these are, I think. Again, from an audience perspective, I think this is what I'm looking for and in terms of the experience. Feel it. And how are you going to do that yeah. online? Yeah. And, and this comes back to something that's very visceral in all of us, you know, the sharing of space mm. yeah. between us. You know, the, the historically, it would be a fire in the middle yes. 
you know, going back eons, yeah. and and we would come together to share yeah. stories, ideas, yeah. connect, yeah. P- introduce people. But yeah. with this as a collective, now we got a, a digital fire. But yeah. it's the same idea: is how do we bring people together, share mm-hmm. openly, um, and again, you can do that on mass yeah. with two hundred people or two thousand people with one person there. But you still have to create that space. And you're right, yeah, digital, you lose a lot of that. Then again, you've got different things that you get out of digital, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm sure you've watched a loads of TED Talks, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. you come across one and you're like, whoa, that just took me sideways, you know? Yeah. And then you go a little bit deeper and you learn and you extend your thinking and mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. It has a domino effect, but yeah, you still can't beat this sharing of space. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I think an think, opportunity, right? Yeah, I, th- I think you you ruined the uh, watching TED Talks for me online by going to live <laughs> events because I think nothing beats the live event. That's where I stay. Yeah, no, you are right. That's why I still do them and I yeah. love them and, and stuff. Yeah, and good luck with that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I will commit immediately because um, I actually um, for the St James one. Um, was just one of those Thomas moments. I just bought, you had like a bundle of tickets, 10 yeah, tickets yeah, or 20 yeah. tickets or something. Mm-hmm. I just bought a whole heap. And then I handed them out to staff in cool. Wellington. I said, oh, do you want to go? It was really interesting because were, the majority was, yeah, I want to find out what is it about. I've never heard, mm-hmm. a lot, lot of them never heard of a TED Talks before. No way. And then okay. we still had two tickets left over. Yeah. Uh, How did they not get snapped up? Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh, there's two tickets, what am I going to do now? So mm. I just start ringing around in, in, in my network and within two seconds they're mm. gone. Mm. You know, and it's really fascinating to see that um, some people are really interested in mm. having that inspiration somehow, uh, the challenge, I think, as well. And then there's others who feel, I think, yeah, they will feel maybe quite insecure themselves, or I'm not sure what drives them. So I'm not a psychologist. Maybe we need to ask up what what drives your staff's great. Yeah. I love your staff. They're, they're cheeky as hell. Yeah, yeah. If I sum up your staff, I would say cheeky. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a great description. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be cheeky? Exactly. Yeah. But what's interesting is when we get um, try to get partners involved in TEDx Wellington, whether it be a cash sponsor or some other funding in kind, they always ask for a, a demographic split of the audience, a right. detailed description. That's fine. I, I don't mind that question. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard because as you've been, you look around, there's such a variety there yes. in terms of ages, in terms of backgrounds. And the only thing we end up saying is, our audiences are madly curious. Yeah. They lean forward in conversation. Yeah. So it's nothing to do with age or anything like that. Yeah. It's more about their principles and values that they exude. Because, yeah, you wander around outside there, you can just spark conversation. They're like, did you just say, yeah, blah, 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 mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. It's a different yeah. flavor uh, from other normal conferences that I go yeah. to, those types, because it attracts those madly curious people. Yeah. Do, you, do you offer, a, I mean, you know, you have a commercial interest in of course as well there no it's a, it's a non-profit yeah but you need to break even but we need yes yeah, so there is a commercial entity from a yeah. perspective we don't want to lose money you're right yeah. is, is there is there a provision for giving tickets to people can you talk about privileges again because mm-hmm. you know i wasn't even thinking i mean that was what thousand dollars or something i just put on the card done mm-hmm. go on with it you know but you I mean there's a lot of people who struggle day by day but yeah. you know they're amazing individuals yeah. that we don't know. So is there an opportunity? Yeah, in the past in? we've created lots of levels of ticketing yeah. costs yeah. and prices because it could be cost prohibited for some yeah. people yeah. Um, straight away. So that's just one access level. Yeah. The other thing is that we do a lot of 
for want of a better word, outreach. We try to let people know or communities of interest know that this is an opportunity that's happening. Yeah. We've also in the past live streamed it as well. Mm. So if you can't physically the be there mm. or if you're somewhere else, mm. um, you can like literally laptop it up. Mm. And also because of the nature of the licenses and uh, the formats is we record all the talks, chucking them up as well. Mm. So in terms of legacy, if I borrow that word from you, yeah. it's online forever and other people can drop in and see them yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. But for the event, this next year, sorry, this next event coming up, we're having this discussion right now yeah. about allocation of tickets. Mm. Yes. And there's a disconnect in the group in a good way. There's just discussion. We haven't sorted the, 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 the answer out in terms of, well, do we make allocation, a certain mm. amount of tickets available for certain groups? Yeah. Um, and I'll take my hand up and I'll say, I'm the provocateur, usually in the group, I'm the... the but what? But yeah. what about? Yeah. Um, yeah. So everybody was like, yeah, we could find some uh, Maori group, some disaffected young people group, whatever. They, mm. they were throwing out some groups. And I'm like, however, <laughs> that's a good idea. We want mm. accessibility. We want variety of audience. Uh, however, do they want to go? Mm. There's an assumption straight mm. away about making yeah. allocations. Mm. And also, how do we know that they can't afford it. We're again making an assumption. We go there, oh, we yeah. want to help you out, get some tickets. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's, a bit, that's a bit cheeky, I think. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we, and this is how we're figuring out now, how do we just disperse as much as possible the opportunity that this is coming up? Yeah. And there's two layers when it comes to TEDx. One is attending the event. Mm. The other layer is also speak at the event or perform at the event. Mm. We're really hungry to find talent, you know? Mm. But again, that, because of the way we do it is you come to us, we're not going to come out to you because we just can't. We're a non-profit, we do this pro bono, we don't have the time just to search. Mm -hmm. So we put a public call out for speakers. And again, we're trying to do it really hard this year to do that outreach and just let as many organizations yeah. know, community mm -hmm. groups, and say, look, this is a platform for you. If you've never thought about it before, don't think that it's not for you. It, we're hungry for stories yeah. and ideas. Yeah. No matter where they come from, so yeah. please put forward, yeah. suggest people in your community. Which we'll be um, doing now. But I think it's your point right at the beginning, which was around removing barriers and creating opportunities. Right? Mm. You know, is that actually that's that's inclusion at its nature is just giving people a fair chance at an opportunity gotcha. and taking yeah. those barriers out and taking that systemic barrier out. You know, yeah. and so I think that's I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're still figuring it out. I think it's yeah. very difficult because we're looking at it from our perspective yeah. all the time. Mm. Yeah. You, know, you were talking about you know, you know I guess it's sort of. I'm making something here. Yeah, you know, it's like okay, how can we reach these people? Yeah, you know, and we just go through an organisation mm. because that's our, how we normally operate. Mm. Is it the, the right way of doing it? Mm. I don't yeah. know. Are we are we uh, othering people? Should we be othering people? That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Mm. Yeah, but that equal opportunities was when I first heard about diversity and inclusion, like back mm. when I was in the UK, nineties. I want to say early nineties. It became it became equal opportunities was the big phrase, not mm -hmm. diversity yeah. inclusion yeah. was it back then, uh, and then it kind of morphed over time to you know gender specific, racial specific. It went all specific. And it's still morphing. Yeah, and it's yeah. still morphing now into this inclusion, which I really like inclusion as yeah, a like as a too. phrase rather than equal opportunities. It's yeah. just like yeah. we make it available 
Yeah. And yeah. we try to be inclusive with our actions, our language and opportunity, mm. rather than say we want you because mm. you're, you know, mm. a wheelchair user yeah. uh, and a lesbian, therefore you click, click, uh, yeah. tick all our boxes. Mm. Thank you very much. In one hit, we're now inclusive, yeah. equal opportunities, that box. Yeah. Is, yeah. And who's it about? It becomes about <laughs> us. You know? Again, yeah. yeah. It becomes yeah. about, rather than the other way, it's just like, mm. are we available for wheelchair users in our place? Yeah. I mean, That's I, all we have to do in yeah. a citizen. And then yeah. next step is, right, how are we reaching out to the community, giving them equal opportunities, yeah. our access to the opportunities? Yes. Is that right? Is yeah, that I mean, I, you the know, way I, I kind of Definitely. And I'm moving as well to this, like, you know, equity, you know, belonging, you know, inclusion, um, you know, but making it less about, yeah, because I think these things can become very much about about us, you know, and a lot of, the, a lot of programs that organisations mm. do are about... Um, about about us rather than about people, you know, like they're about the person who's driving initiatives, you know, rather than actually who the outcome is for. Mm. And so I think engaging the right people and, and bringing bringing people in, you know, who actually mm. represent their communities as opposed to like what both of you have talked about, making assumptions about yeah. what people need and mm. stereotyping what groups might need, you know, without actually ever engaging people. <laughs> Do you think that's where, because you touched on right early back when you described in some of your work, like the bullying, the workplace mm. bullying, which I know is a big, mm. big kind of thing yeah. for you from a perspective. You've done a lot of work in that space. You're part of different organizations as well, as I understand. Um, do you think that, that that's where the seeds of workplace mm. bullying come from, is that yeah. we don't have that kind of empathetic view and understanding or openness well I don't know I'm making this up mm. where does workplace bullying come from how do you fix it yeah how do you fix it <laughs> there we go yeah. that's a juicy oh. question um, I think that often workplaces and organisations are, are looked to to be the fixer of issues that we already have in society mm. you know I don't think okay. they start in workplaces I think that it starts elsewhere. I mean, in your point earlier about, um, you, you know, mm. New Zealand in particular, we're quite an avoidant society. Mm. You know, we don't like conflict and we yeah. don't like kind of some of those real meaty conversations. Mm. We, we like to be kind of nice at face value, but, you know, something might be happening. You know, so, um, but I think this doesn't start in workplaces. You know, I mm. think it starts much earlier and um, I've been doing research around, you know, Around schools and around what you what we value in schools and what behaviour that lends it to and what that normalises. So then, by the time after I don't know twenty years of twenty years of living, then you get into the workplace. You already have this. You know, we, mm. you've normalised types of of behaviour. You know, I mean. Mm. Up until, I think, relatively recently, if you think of even in the leadership space about what we have traditionally valued, and we've valued competition and assertiveness and, you know, coming out on top and winning and all of these things, Mm -hmm. you know, or individually winning, you know, and so what does that lend it to and lend itself to in terms of behaviour, you know? So then you get into the workplace and you go, well, shit, now we've got this problem that we need to fix, you know, and we do, don't get me wrong, we totally do, but actually where is that change in what we value so that actually when you get to this place that 
that um, you have an absolute fundamental belief in treating people well, yeah. you know, and that actually, That's and that nice. mutual win-win, you know, and so all of that stuff. Um, so that's kind of, that's constantly on my mind, you know, mm. and I think that comes from that, yeah, what you value in society, you know, and um, and that whole concept of, you know, like I, I think there's a, a really fascinating psychology around what you walk past, mm. you know, and that, that, that old saying, okay. you know, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept, mm-hmm. you know, and why do we actually accept seeing something, seeing mm. someone treated a certain way, and be okay with it, you yeah. know? Like, that sits really uncomfortably with me. Well, I think it's it's very, again, from my personal experience and, and <laughs> having to deal with a lot of things in life, is it's very confusing. It's, mm. it's you know, you always think, oh, now I'm doing the right thing, and then it turns out, again, to be the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I just, while you were talking about, the, you know, what happens in personal mm-hmm. life and mm-hmm. what brings comes into the business. And I had this one situation, it was a young female colleague of ours. Um, she was sitting in her office and, you know, I was just used to go to people and say hello and yeah. just, you know, and then, and one day she said, Thomas, we need to talk. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what have I done wrong now? And then um, she just told me from her perspective, and, and she was well, it was very great that she gave me the mm-hmm. feedback. So she was shortish female sitting at her desk. I come into her office, and she said, Thomas, I feel threatened by you. And I was like, oh, me? <laughs> I'm just a big teddy bear. Well, what do you feel mm-hmm. threatened about? And she said, no, just your physical presence, your big unit. You fill out the whole door frame. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, she's right. Mm. I never saw that from my perspective Mm. as being Mm. something. And so um, an hour later, I crawled into her office just and made a big laugh about (laughs) it. Again, it turned out that, you know, she um, felt insecure Mm. when when large males, because she had no... No escape path. Because yeah. I was blocking the only escape pathway that she had by filling so up the So much to door. unpack there. Yeah, yeah. From and a then, woman's and perspective. Yeah, yeah and then it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was just not aware of it. And, you know, now we do, we have done things differently. So I'm coming over now. So I had a little in house chat bag and it was kind of, or we meet in the kitchen or, you know. Just How awesome me. that she told you that, though. Yeah, and, and I, I think yeah. it took a lot of uh, courage um, to mm. give that feedback. And I think it took a bit of courage mind to accept that feedback as well mm-hmm. uh, but it was was great to at least know that you had that opportunity to exchange yeah. these ideas yeah. and, and I, again I feel sometimes that I, I, my, I'm not sure what to do sometimes because yeah. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be whatever you do, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what your experience is, but sometimes you think you do the right thing and it turns out to be completely wrong for whatever reason that yeah. I couldn't even comprehend that this might be wrong. Yeah, and know? I think that's a common thing. Um, and, and I think one of the almost the worst things that we've done with bullying is call things bullying. <laughs> you know? okay. And we've put this really strict definition around what it is. You know, mm. it has to be um, repeated, unreasonable behaviour over, you know, and it's like, you know, actually, how do we talk less about labelling it? You know, yeah. labelling it has to meet this criteria of fit in the box, you know. Um, mm. like but the, it's the HR site, you know, yeah. you need to follow this process to then have this outcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was researching this, you know, with, um, with WorkSafe, you know, and it was 2018, they had 100 reported instances of bullying. Um, they investigated 10 and they found that one was within the mm-hmm. parameters to be considered bullying. 
Now, we know that we've got an issue in workplaces. You don't have to, it's in the paper like just about every day. So mm. how can one out of a hundred, so I think that labeling of what we've actually called bullying rather than gotcha. incivility, you know, actually mm. just poor behavior or I don't know, you know, like, or actually taking um, appreciation for differences in, yeah. within cultures and what mm. is those acceptable norms. Yeah. But we've put everything into this bucket of bullying and now we're like, how do we fix it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. It is. When you, you've asked me to reflect on that because I said you asked, I don't know about you, but I, I come at it from a different perspective from mm -hmm. my experience with language mm -hmm. more than physical physical kind of experiences. Mm -hmm. By the way, there's chocolate there. I think you should <laughs> take it. Um, being probably from a, a very kind of male culture as well, lots of rugby and kind mm -hmm. of that, the, and very male from a perspective of females, males, you know, and there's no kind of grey there. Um, some of the language that I I now kind of recognise because mm. I'm I think I'm a bit more mature now I've grown up a little bit but I recognise in younger males mm. uh, I can be seen as that straight away um, gender specific mm. quite aggressive can be very kind of uh, misogynistic straight away in that space of you know just straight away putting a, a lady in a, a situation, uh, just in mm. vocal and just mm. in, you know, not a physical mm. thing, but just re regaling stories and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, okay, we still do that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And, yeah. you know, it's just, again, going back to upbringing yeah. and going back to what you have experiences of. And if you have, uh, and I grew up with two older brothers mm. and, I'm not saying they're misogyn misogynistic <laughs> bastards at all. They're lovely people, and they've done better in life. They've got kids, and they've settled down. I haven't. You know, they've done well. Uh, but uh, it's fascinating where you know, you'd know you suddenly come through that and you recognise mm. going backwards, or if you're hanging out in, like, in went and played pool a couple of weeks ago, and I could hear a conversation from the next mm. couple of lads talking about shagging some girls or something, mm. and it was just mm. like, Okay, cool. That's not, you know, it's nothing bad going on really there. But equally, it's like, yeah, they they very much get in a, a bit of a. If that was done in work, for example, mm -hmm. yeah. if that language was going on, it's like, look at my little badge of honour, because yeah. yeah, it's just like, no, you wouldn't get away with that, and yeah, yeah. that's the disconnect. Yeah, right? I mean, you, you, we all look back and think, oh, you know, cringe about how we might have might have spoken or acted. I think yeah. that's that. Just if you're if we're not constantly reflecting, you know, and then mm. like what harm might we be doing to others, you know, and what are the, I think everything has a consequence, right? You know, there's this mm. like massive butterfly effect thing going on. So, I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time, um, maybe too much time, you know, reflecting on myself and thinking, oh, shit, I've done all these things wrong and I've misstepped. I constantly, I live with foot and mouth syndrome, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that is that whole thing around, um, am I, do I want to change? Do I want to do things differently? Mm. You know, um, reflecting on, yeah, I think there's... Through the, through the other lens, yeah, which is what you had that experience of. It's yeah. like, yeah, and good for her for sharing that with you. Yeah. Again, I think for you for taking that thing. Yeah. And but I think it's very difficult because, you know, you're looking at day-to-day -day chores, everything needs to happen. Again, you know, talking about being privileged, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely 
wonderfully, in my sense, privileged in a way what I can do and, uh, and the opportunities at hand. But there's a lot of people that, you know, they don't have the space and time to reflect. If you live in overcrowded um, mm. housing situation, if you are struggling to make ends meet by just putting food on the table, by um, all sorts of health issues, physical, mental health, whatever it might be, yeah. you know, you don't actually have the capacity to do that. Fair and point. and yeah. again, coming back mm. to mm. The, the blame and shame, and mm. it was interesting what you were saying uh, before that when you came together with your cousins that mm. you feel guilty mm. about mm. the opportunities that were given to you or yeah. something. It's like, but it's not your fault, yeah. you know? It's, it's not, you know, I mean, you should not put that guilt trip on you mm. yeah. because it is what it is, you know? Mm. And, and I think we need to be mindful of how much pressure we're putting onto other mm. people or what mm. to do. Because I mean, looking at the next generations and you, know, you talk about bullying at school and things, mm. I mean, what did we have at school? We're throwing rocks at each other, maybe. And uh, now with the whole social media thing, um, you know, what just happened recently with uh, the TikTok video that went out, you know, I mean, yeah. it's like the children don't have the capacity to deal with these extreme yeah. situations at the moment. So what's going to happen to those going forward? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just seems to be, I don't know how you can do your job. It just seems to be like <laughs> an endless... It's uh, a lot. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you, you, a new layer. You kind of like, yeah. yeah, you just it's think you're getting on top of this, and then oh, there's another thing behind there's it. Another, then, yeah. Yeah, and another one oh, never ends. Welcome to my world. I'm just kind of like in this constant living inception where I'm just yeah. like kind of falling. A great through. description. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. another thing's falling in on each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I mean it is because that's that's humans, right? Humans yeah. are and so incredibly yeah. complex. You know, there's no one answer to any of this. Otherwise, imagine yeah. the things that we would have solved. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's why I love engineering. Problem, <laughs> solution, <laughs> problem, solution. Yeah. Hey, but I was like really curious actually to ask you something because you're a scientist, mm -hmm. right? And um, you know, at the risk of possibly offending someone, but Donald Trump says some very, very unsciencey things, and I think his impact is very, very wide and frightening from my perspective to see the things that come out of his mouth and the impact that that has. Do you think that we are becoming, I think anti's too strong a word, but I'll just use it for that, you know, do you think we're becoming anti-science? Very good question. Mm. I, I hope not. Mm. I think, again, coming back to social media, digital thing, mm. having a head of state using social media to directly mm. communicate unfiltered mm. with an incredible audience. I don't know how many followers someone like Donald Trump might have. Too many. Yeah, that's my thinking well, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, it's I mean, you're, you're talking about listening to other people's view. I think it's important to mm. listen to what mm -hmm. someone says. It mm. doesn't mean you agree with them just because you follow someone. Sure. I, mean, yeah. I, I follow a few people on social media where I would definitely not agree with what they stand for, and where, yeah. but it's good for me to get that mm -hmm. different perspective on things and I'm trying to understand where it's coming from. And I think that's, coming back to your question, mm. the... I wouldn't know what the motivation is behind mm. something like this. Mm. 
uh, is it narcissistic? Uh, <laughs> something really mm. fundamentally wrong, or there's an agenda behind it that I don't get yeah. uh, to mm. do because, again, f- uh, and I think it's easy that we always want to maybe ignore signs. I mean, mm. climate change. Mm. You know, people are saying, mm. oh, we can't ground planes, we can't change our behavior coveted. Mm. Overnight, mm. planes ground it, mm. and mm. we're still not up in the air flying again yeah. to any, what, 5% yeah. of the level that we were um, six months ago. Yeah. Works. Possible. Yeah. Suddenly we're in digital world. So I, I think, and I hope, mm. that the signs will prevail. I think um, but science, is also needs, science needs to be understood that this is an, uh, actually an assumption of and mm. the understanding of the knowledge that we currently have, mm. it's not static. Mm. It changes, it moves. Mm. And again, maybe in times of uncertainty, we will see people falling back onto um, certain belief systems, something that gives them some hold, yeah, yeah. which is science is not black and white. I mean, gravity, there's certain yeah. things that yeah. in, but if you look at um, um, Einstein's uh, theories and so on, you know, they are... Their effect until they're proven to be wrong. Mm. How fascinating! Social space is the same; it shifts and moves, okay. and it's not static. Yeah. What we believe now and what we think is our social norms yeah. are, are different from they were twenty, thirty years yeah. ago. Different from how they will be in twenty, thirty. That's what I like about uh, the scientific scientific view is always a little bit more generous from the perspective of you never hear scientists say this. Mm. It's, it's more like our best knowledge of this yes. means this, or so yeah. based on the, the facts that we've researched and blah, blah, blah. And you, um, can have, you can have the same set of data. I mean, um, the person I recommend uh, for one of the TED Talks, okay. um, in terms of data uh, um, storytelling, you know, you can take the same amount of, the same, same data, and you can tell totally different stories out of it. Mm. Yeah. You know, I remember my first uh, math uh, professor, he was saying, don't trust any statistic that you haven't fought yourself. <laughs> because nice. you, know, you can yeah. always, always manipulate it and yeah. shine a light on it, extrapolate, and do all sorts of things mm. with the data. And, and yeah. I think, and I hope that that's where the science will prevail, yeah. that yeah. You know, there will be people out there say, yeah, that is the data, but you know yeah. you've actually only taken this part of the yeah. spectrum. When you actually mm. zoom out and you see what yeah. it actually means, Context. the yeah. outcome is different. I'm smiling so much because it just reminds me of that saying. You know, like what is it? Seventy percent of all statistics are made up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's about the purposeful storytelling in a way mm. that you know what is what is the agenda behind yeah. it. Yeah. And if you yeah. look at research output, the first thing I normally uh, look at is who has sponsored things. Mm. And what vested interests are in that field. And I'm not saying that they're bad or good. Mm. I'm not judging it. I'm just, I just want to set my alarm bells yeah. in a way and say, okay, you know, if this is driven by certain yeah. things. And yeah. Coming back to your question there with uh, Trump sort of ignoring science and so on. Mm. I'm not sure if he's ignoring science. Looks like it. Uh, maybe he has a particular agenda that he mm. wants to drive through. Um, I don't understand his motivation. I make an assumption it's about power and staying in power. And I mean, I guess being the president of the United States of America is a very powerful position to be in. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, should a person not be man or woman enough mm-hmm. to get enough satisfaction out of that, then actually. Mm-hmm. Indeed, mm-hmm. trying to compensate whatever problems yeah. <laughs> they brought to the job. But even if you, you look know. at and look at New Zealand with the people burning down five G towers, mm. there are some. Yes, right. it so. stretches this far. 
it comes to back to something we mentioned earlier about the stories, right? Mm. That not only we tell other people, but tell ourselves. Mm. And we can tell ourselves lots of stories, then we believe them to be true based on a set of experiences, yeah. or just because someone else who you revere or think should have yeah. the proper story. Mm. Like Donald Trump, if you're a Republican and you're hardened, that, they, he represents that, so therefore he's got to be making sense. Which is mm. like, Confirmation Uncover bias. that, move that. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, and mm. yeah, it's a it's a scary space to be listening to orange people at the moment uh, in positions of power. It's but it, but it's, it's, it's quite concerning if you look at uh, various states around the globe uh, that you have yeah. more of an extreme view starting yeah. to happen. Uh, if you look at uh, Europe, some of the former Eastern European mm. states, mm. you just go, there, so, um, mm. you don't talk about yeah. inclusion or yeah. anything. Yeah. Go, we're going right back to, yeah. I don't know, yeah. Mm. 60, 50s, 60s. I'm aware of time and your your commitment to this, and I want to end turning a frown upside down because I felt like it got a bit. Mm. <laughs> so bring it up. <laughs> what are you hopeful for in the next couple of months? I'll start with you, Pierre. Oh, all right. Hopeful. Next couple for. of months. What am I hoping for in the next couple of months? Um, or even weeks. We can bring it down to that. I've, I'm hopeful for so much. I'm hopeful for um, communities like this. You know, like communities getting back together, you know, in whatever shape, you know, that your community takes or your broader communities take. Um, I'm really, really hopeful for warm weather over summer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very hopeful for that. Bring but um, I'm, I'm hoping that, I'm hopeful that we start to hold on to some of the even small micro things that we mm. learn over this time, you know, um, and that we don't quickly lose them, that we, we hold on to something micro and we think, what can we, how can we take this small experience, or big experience, and actually um, keep building on something positive, you know, and something in, enduring, you know. I think there's such an opportunity, you know, as hard as this year has been, what an amazing opportunity to do something different. And your point about change, you know, about, oh, we can never ground planes, and we can change. Mm. You know, we have an absolute capacity for change because human beings have done it mm. over the entire course of our existence. So how do we use this as a really mechanism for positive change? That's what I'm hopeful for. It might be a little bit bigger than the next few weeks, but... <laughs> Love it. No, thank you for sharing. That's lovely. How about you, Thomas? It's a real challenge, the question. Thank you mm. for that. Well, first and foremost, thank you for having us here. Thank um, you. I, I like the format. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm hopeful for more human interaction. Um, mm. For me, again, an interesting example was on Wednesday morning uh, when I got to the airport here in Wellington for my flight to Auckland. It was really strange because there was nobody there, but then I saw a few individuals sort of running through the terminals. Oh, that's Michael. I haven't seen him for a while. And <laughs> oh, who's that? And I was just really curious again and, and trying to reconnect uh, with people, even with sort of physical distancing and so on. But I, I'm hopeful, I'm hoping that that uh, we reconnect as human beings again and I hope we stay as a team of five million in New mm. Zealand and we don't have a great divide mm. starting mm. to happen between the regions yeah. which will be not good for us as a country and so yeah warm weather would be nice so. yeah we're right <laughs> warm weather people yeah, it's, it's, 
Where there's one saying in northern Germany, there's no wrong weather, it's just wrong clothes. So. Just wrong clothes. One of my favourite sayings. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today, guys. I really thank appreciate you, you coming in, and it's brilliant to connect to good humans in my network, and I'm sure this will kind of... Well, I already have them. some some ideas spinning yeah. that I need to Look out. I've so. got, like, questions. Good. There you go. We'll find a quiet room somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for bringing us together. Thank Thanks, you. Peter. Everything all right, Jono? Looking good, Sandy good. Yay, good. That was episode seven of Creative Welly, Courageous Conversations with Bold Humans. Thanks again for tuning in. Please subscribe to the usual methods. You know what to do. Again, this is brought to you by me, DK. Also, John O'Tucker, the producer of the video podcaster from Empire Films and hosted by X Equals and Alex Matthews over there doing a good job and allowing us to use his space. Come back again in a couple of weeks and we'll have the next episode. So until then, stay safe and stay sane. Take care.